All right, this evening, take your Bible, please, and turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 9 through 11 this evening. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. Acts 1, beginning in verse 9. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they were looking steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you, into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him uh, go into heaven. Father, this evening, as we would pause on this Lord's Day evening and turn our focus on the fact that you're coming again, help us now this evening to grasp that truth and, Father, to watch and be ready for the return of our Lord. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. The second coming of Christ is one of the clearest teachings in the New Testament. In fact, there are more prophecies about the second coming of Christ uh, than of his first coming. And we know he came the first time. And so this evening, I'd like for us to consider in the time that we have the second coming of Christ. Now, it's been my experience that some do not understand that the return of Christ is in two phases. One is called the rapture, and the other is his return in power and great glory. These two phases of his return are separated by seven years. The first is prior to the tribulation, and the other is at the close of the tribulation. And so let's look at this here this evening and, and some of the implications of our Lord's return. First of all, we're going to talk about the rapture. Now, the, the word rapture does not appear in our English Bible. Uh, it's based in 1 Thessalonians 4, where we're going in just a moment, of uh, being caught up, but the, the Latin word there is raptura, from which the English word rapture comes from. And uh, though the, the, the word does not appear in the English Bible, the concept certainly does. Uh, if you care to turn to 1 Thessalonians or not, I'm going to read it. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning in verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again... Even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent, and that means precede, them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Well, folks, that pertains to us. Several thoughts here. First of all, the who, he's addressing this to brethren. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. I would not have you ignorant brethren. The, uh, the, the first verse in the chapter is talking about brethren. And... Uh, Paul is addressing here those who are true believers, those uh, who are saved. Uh, we're going in the rapture. 
as well as the dead in Christ. Notice in verse 16, uh, the dead in Christ shall rise first. My godly father is, is buried in a cemetery in central Illinois. And in that day, my mother's there too, by the way, in that day they both are coming up out of the grave instantaneously and going to heaven. And notice the what, to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Praise the Lord. We shall be changed according to 1 Corinthians 15, 52. Paul wrote, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Folks, the fact of the matter is, uh, we are going to receive a glorified body as we're on our way up. Uh, uh, you can't probably see it, but I'm wearing hearing aids. I'm an old geezer. And uh, I won't need hearing aids in those days. I won't need glasses in those days. Uh, I'm having back issues and taking back therapy. I won't need that in that day. We'll be changed and receiving a body like our Lord's glorified body in His resurrection. And notice, uh, we read that it's in the twinkling of an eye. I'm not sure how fast the twinkling of an eye is, but I'll tell you this, it's quick. Amen. To meet the Lord in the air. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see, when I take Him by the, uh, the hand and He leads me through the promised land. Uh, what a, uh, what a uh, day, what a glorious day that will be. Uh, we're going to see Jesus and meet Him in the air. And in verse 17 here in 1 Thessalonians it says, uh, to be ever with the Lord. We'll be ever with the Lord. Uh, elsewhere in the Scripture it teaches we are the bride of Christ and we're going there among other things for the greatest wedding of the ages, the, the marriage of the Lamb. And I don't fully understand all of that, but someday we're going to be the bride of Christ. Well, we already are a spouse to Him now, but someday uh, we're going to be a, a, a married to him, I guess I'll put it that way, all together. What a day that will be. Now, you say, when is that going to be? Well, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 7, we read, as a thief in the night. As a thief in the night. Now, thieves, burglars, don't announce their coming. They come unexpectedly. Uh, brother, uh, every church, uh, there you are, <laughs> Brother, every church I've been associated with in my ministry has been burglarized. I don't know if you folks have been. Uh, count your blessings if you haven't been. In fact, our church was burglarized just about a month ago. And uh, it happens. I remember some years ago walking into the, 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 the building on Monday morning and uh, not paying much attention. I happened to glance into the office and everything was on the floor. Uh-oh. We had been burglarized that night. And they stole all of our audio-visual equipment. Uh, a thief came in the night. Well, our Lord is coming unexpectedly. Jesus said, No man knoweth the day or the hour uh, when the Son of Man cometh. Uh, beware when someone tells you they know when Jesus is coming. The Jehovah Witnesses said He was coming in 1917. Well, they were wrong on that and they're wrong on everything else as far as that goes. There was a guy back in 1988, and I can look it up and I can't remember his name, but he announced that on the eighth day of the eighth month of the 88th year, in other words, August 8th, 1988, Jesus was coming again, and he told his followers to assemble there on some mountaintop on the Ozark Mountains. 
And sadly, folks sold their homes and sold their businesses and sold their possessions, and Jesus didn't come. Now, this is the eighth time I've spoken in the last two days, and my voice is getting a little tight. But beware of the date setters. There was a man here in just recent years uh, who set dates. His name was Harold Camping. And I think he's, I believe the man was saved, but uh, he was mixed up. He had, a, he had a radio network all over America, repeater stations all over the country. But first he said the Lord was coming back in 1994. Well, it didn't happen. Well, I've got to recalculate. And then he said the Lord is coming back in 2004. It did not happen. And then he, he with much publicity, it was in the, the secular news, uh, that he, he foretold that Jesus was coming on May 21st on 2011. Well, guess what? <laughs> the Lord didn't come then. I don't know when Jesus is coming. But folks, he's coming. Amen. He's coming. And the next item on God's prophetic agenda is the rapture of the church. Our duty is to be watching and ready. His return is imminent. In Revelation chapter 22 and verse 12, he said, Behold, I come quickly. That word quickly uh, in the original language has the idea of suddenly. It may be tonight. It could be before this service is over. I don't know. Uh, but one of these days, we're going to hear the trumpet and the voice of the archangel. And we're going to be caught up together to be with the Lord. What a day that will be. Amen. And praise the Lord, folks. Uh, if we are of that generation, uh, we will not have to die physically. What a blessing that will be. My father, uh, who, as I, as I said, was a pastor for many years, over 50 years, witnessed the rebirth of the state of Israel and uh, he was convinced that the Lord would return in that generation. Well, the Lord did not. But he's coming, and he's just, it's just that much closer, folks. And so the first phase of our Lord's return is the rapture. It is imminent. It is impending. Our duty is to watch and be ready, as we'll see here in just a moment. But there is the second phase of our Lord's return. We might call it his, his return in power and great glory. Some call it the second advent or the second return of Christ. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse 29, we read, immediately after the tribulation of those days. Now, that's, that's significant in, in, in giving us some insight into when these events take place. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, Shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory." Folks, he came the first time incognito. He came the first time in a manger. Uh, he's coming the second time for all to see in power and great glory. And he frankly is coming to take over the earth. <coughs> Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11 says, And I saw heaven opened, 
And behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he did judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. I imagine that's his own blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven, I think that'll be us, followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. That is awesome, folks. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is coming again in power and great glory. And to bring vengeance, as we'll see in a moment, upon a godless, unbelieving world. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 7, And to you who are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. He's coming to take vengeance on this wicked world. Now, He came the first time in mercy and in grace. He's coming the second time in wrath and in vengeance. Folks, I thought our God was a God of love. Yes, He is, folks, but He's also a God of holiness. And holiness eventually demands judgment. He's coming in judgment. Now, the return of Christ in power uh, has, I, I believe, a number of purposes. First of all, it'll culminate in the judgment of a wicked world. Now, the tribulation will have raged for seven years prior to His return in power and great glory. He's coming all together at the conclusion of, of, the, the, of the tribulation culminating in the Battle of Armageddon, which is, by the way, a literal place in, in the state of Israel. Uh, Megiddo, and Har-Megiddo means the mountain of Megiddo or Har-Megiddon altogether. And uh, a, a battle will rage there, and that's in north-central Israel, at, at the, the, the northwest corner of the Valley of Jezreel. And it'll pass on down through Jerusalem and actually into the, what, the modern state of Jordan in the Old Testament. is called Basra, about 175 miles and by the time that battle is over, we read that the blood will be bridal deep. It's not going to be a battle, it's going to be a slaughter. And the armies of the Antichrist, of the United Nations of this world, what's left of the tribulation, are going to descend on Israel, perhaps in the final great act of anti-Semitism, and seeking to exterminate them altogether. <laughs> and their champion returns. Their king returns. Their Messiah returns. In Isaiah chapter 11 it says, With the breath of his mouth will he slay the wicked. And that is in an eschatological context. I believe when Jesus returns, <clears throat> the armies of the Antichrist with the breath of his mouth will be slaughtered. It will be over in an instant. He's coming to execute judgment on a wicked world. He's coming to establish His kingdom here on earth. Now the book of Revelation tells us that uh, that kingdom is going to last for 20 years in Revelation chapter 20. 
Incidentally, we're coming back with Jesus. I think we'll be on those white horses. Uh, I don't know if riding a horse today has any bearing on it. You'll know how in that day. And he will establish his kingdom here on this earth. Jerusalem will be the capital city. Israel will be the capital nation. It'll be a rebuilt Jerusalem. Jerusalem today is, is a hodgepodge city of, of medieval and modern and, and uh, nicer neighborhoods and crummy neighborhoods. But in that day, folks, there's going to be not, not the new Jerusalem of Revelation 21, but a rebuilt Jerusalem. It'll be the capital city of this world. And I can only imagine how magnificent that millennial city, that millennial capital will be. And Jesus will be king over the, all the earth. We will be part of his government in Revelation and elsewhere. It talks about us ruling and reigning with him. I don't know exactly how his, his kingdom is going to be organized uh, governmentally. That's in his prerogative, in his purview. But uh, we, we read in, 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 in Luke and in Matthew of being over cities uh, for faithfulness, uh, ruling and reigning with him in, in his kingdom. It's going to be a fascinating time, a time of peace, a thousand years of peace, of no war, of no crime, of no wickedness. I think it'll be uh, environmental conditions similar to the Garden of Eden. What a day that will be. We read all about it, particularly in Isaiah. Uh, it says frequently, in that day. And Jesus is coming back to establish his kingdom here on this earth. The songwriter penned the words, Jesus shall reign where the sun doth its successive journeys run. His kingdom stretch from shore to shore till moons shall wax and wane no more. He's coming back to establish his kingdom. He's coming back to restore Israel altogether to their land and to restore them as the capital nation of the world. Today, there are about as many Jews living in the United States, and particularly here in the Northeastern Corridor. corridor. There are about as many Jews living in the United States as there are living in the state of Israel today. And Jews are scattered all over the world. I mentioned the other day, they're, they're in our city. They're, they're all over the world. They're going to be regathered all together in that day. There will be no anti-Semitism in that day. And they'll be the leadership nation of the entire world. And so there are two phases of our Lord's return. He's coming in the rapture for his bride, for his church. And then seven years later, he's, coming, he's returning in power and great glory. I'm looking forward to both of those events. And by the way, I've read the end of the book, folks. And we've got a glorious future ahead. It may seem dark and bleak now, but in that day, it'll be glorious. Now, there's a difference between the rapture and the second coming. In the rapture, Jesus comes in the clouds. At his second coming, his feet land or alight on the Mount of Olives, according to Zechariah chapter 14. In the rapture, he comes only for believers. At his second coming, every eye shall see him, in Revelation 1-7. In the rapture, he comes for his saints. At his second coming, uh, he comes in judgment at the battle of Armageddon. In the rapture, he comes for his church. In the second coming, he comes to Jerusalem. In the rapture, he comes to receive his bride. At his second coming, he comes to set up his kingdom. 
And don't confuse the second coming in power and great glory with the rapture. They are two distinct events. And I, I belabor that point tonight. I don't think I need to in this church. But all across the land today there is this thought that uh, there's not a pre-tribulation rapture. And, and uh, the rapture is, as such is conflated with the, the return of Christ and power. And it's all going to happen at one time at the end of the tribulation. And that's uh, uh, part of Reformed theology which is permeating the land today. There is a distinct difference. Now, Christ's coming is imminent. It is imminent. In Revelation chapter, uh, well, in the book of Revelation, let me put it that way, four different times Jesus said, I come quickly. He said that in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 11. He said that in Revelation chapter 22, last chapter in the Bible, verse 7. He said that in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 12. He said that in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 20, next to the last verse in the Bible. Jesus said, I come quickly. I kind of get the impression he's coming quickly, folks. Suddenly. And if there is a simple thought that... that that his return is imminent and therefore before the tribulation. It's right here. He's coming quickly. Suddenly. We don't have to wait for three and a half years of the tribulation to go by for him to return. Or all of the tribulation to go by before he returns. He's coming suddenly. Three times in the final chapter of the Bible, Jesus said, I come quickly. Now, our duty is to be ready. Be ready. I wonder how much we have thought in this previous week about the return of our Lord if He was coming today or tomorrow. In Matthew 24, Jesus said, Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. I don't know when He's coming. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse 44, Jesus said, Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. We live in a world today, and, and I'm probably as guilty as anyone else, but we get so involved in the affairs of life and the, and the, the necessities of life and the uh, distractions of life that we don't think much about Jesus coming back. But he said, Be ready. And that means, I think, first of all, that you're, you're saved. If you're not saved, folks, you're going to enter into that terrible tribulation where the larger proportion of the earth's population will perish. We, we read in Revelation 6 that one quarter of the population will perish. Let's just take 8 billion as, as a, 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 a number today of the earth's population. It's in that neighborhood. Uh, in, the, in, the, in the initial six seal, first seal judgments, one quarter of the earth's population will perish. That's 2 billion people. And then we come to the trumpet judgments uh, toward the middle of the tribulation. And it talks about another third of the earth population perishing. Well, now we're down to six billion. You take a, a third of that away, that's another two billion. And that doesn't include the thunder judgments, which we don't know anything about, or the, uh, the, 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 the vile or the bold judgments at the end, which uh, is spelled out. But a large segment of the earth population will perish in that day. I think during the tribulation, uh, and, and we know the Holy Spirit's influence, His restraining influence is going to be re uh, removed. Uh, and th I think that can be applied in a number of directions. But I think part of that is uh, the restraint on nuclear warfare is going to be lifted. I think during the tribulation there's going to be all-out nuclear warfare. 
There have been news reports this, this week, and, and you can take the stuff with a grain of salt, but yeah, that if we get into an all-out nuclear war, 300 million Americans would perish. I don't know if that's true or not. But it's going to be a terrible time. If you're not saved, you're going to face that. And by the way, if the rapture's tonight, the, the tribulation starts very shortly thereafter. Are you ready? But then are you ready to meet our Lord as a Christian? Because shortly after the rapture, uh, we're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of the things done in our bodies according to that which we have done, whether it be good or bad. What an awesome day that will be to stand before our Lord and give an account of how we failed Him. And give an account of, of, of how we have not been as faithful as we ought to have been. And then on the other hand, as we have been faithful and we have served Him to receive rewards, what a day that will be. But that's coming. Are you ready to meet your Lord? Now, <clears throat> we don't know when our Lord is coming. I, as I mentioned a few moments ago, my father thought in his lifetime he'd see the return of our Lord. Uh, that was, my dad died in 1996, over, uh, well, approximately 30 years ago. But there are, there are, I think, some general clues that help us to understand how near our Lord's return is. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. It's talking about His return. And if we go back to Genesis chapter 6, Pardon me, it just keeps my voice loose. It's getting tight after this weekend. But if we go back to Genesis chapter 6 and read, I think it's in verse 11, it says, this is in the context of Noah and the impending flood, it says, the earth was corrupt and the earth was filled with violence. Now, that word corrupt in the Hebrew language has the idea of being morally corrupt. The earth was full of immorality. And I don't have to tell you that the world we live in today is in the same boat, the same condition. And whether it's people just living together, and, and that's by the millions all over the world, fornication, one-night stands, affairs, adultery, the abomination of homosexuality, and the, the abominable, abominable uh, abomination of homosexual marriage, the transgender stuff, the transvestite stuff, uh, the gender change stuff, folks, I believe it's an abomination to God. Amen. And the earth was corrupt morally in Noah's day. Folks, we're in the same situation today. I mean, I, I made the comment here in, in conversation over the noon hour, uh, when I was in, we were talking about what's going on in the schools today, and I said, when I was in uh, high school, I didn't even know what a lesbian was. And today it's taught in the public schools and encouraged in the public schools. The immorality and this depravity of, of telling small children uh, as a little boy, maybe you ought to be, really be a little girl, or maybe a little girl, you're a little boy. Folks, that is not only depraved, that is stupid. But it's all around us. And, and by the way, all that stuff really is just a, 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 a prelude, a, a, 
a, a cover for homosexuality. The earth was corrupt, and it's corrupt today. And then we read, the earth was filled with violence. There is not a week that goes by that we don't hear about some school or some business or some establishment being shot up. Mall shootings, school shootings, uh, violence up and down the land. Uh, we live in northern Minnesota, which is uh, kind of out in the woods, literally. And uh, this summer, there were several incidents in, in small-town situations where, where police officers were shot down dead in, in cold blood. One in northern Minnesota, one in western Wisconsin. It happens all the time. You read about the crime in the cities and the violence in the cities. The earth was filled with violence. And you think it's bad here. Uh, I have missionary friends in Central America who say it's even worse there. I have a missionary friend. I went to college. In fact, he was a roommate of mine one year in, in, in Bible college. Tom Latham, he's been on the field now for about 50 years. He said in, in a recent newsletter, he's been robbed 114 times. 114 times in the years he's lived in Brazil. The earth is filled with violence. Now, the stage is being set, folks. I don't know exactly when our Lord's return is. It might be this week, it might be next year, it might be 10 years from now. I don't know. But the stage is being set. And though it seems dark, and by the way, it's usually darkest before the dawn. And before our Lord's return, it, 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 it's dark, and I think it'll be darker, but then, praise God, the Son of Righteousness is coming. But I think there's another clue as to when our Lord's return will be. That is what's happening in the state of Israel. Now, much has happened in the last 125 oh, years pertaining to Israel. After World War I, the, the Ottoman Empire, which occupied what, what was then called Palestine, uh, was on the losing side and Britain was on the winning side and Britain was given a mandate of the Middle East, that is, they were given control of much of the Middle East. And the British foreign minister, a man by the name of Lord Belfort, issued what came to be known ever since as the Belfort Declaration, which said that Jews could start to go back to their homeland. And they did, by the tens of thousands. This was in the 1920s and the 1930s. But even then, there was nothing but trouble. Uh, Arabs shooting at them and, 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 and assaulting their villages. And uh, the British was there, uh, and, and they were just about as harsh on the Jews as the Arabs were. If you ever find a book in the library called The Palestinian Triangle, it's fascinating reading about what happened between World War I and World War II there in, in Palestine. Of the, of the Jews fighting the, Pal of the Arabs and the Arabs fighting the Jews and all of them fighting with the British. The war ended. And again, Britain was on the winning side of, uh, in, in the war of World War II, but they were exhausted as a nation and they were tired of all the fighting in, in Palestine. And they basically said on May 14, 1948, we are out of here. You guys can fight it out among yourselves. We are out. And they left on, on May 14, 1948. On May 15, 1948, the Jews in the land declared themselves an independent state. 
And it was basically the first time since the time of Daniel that there was a sovereign, independent state of Israel in the land, Ha'eretz in Hebrew. But it's been nothing but trouble. And when they declared themselves a nation in, in May 1948, immediately the Arab world declared war on Israel. And, and think about this, there were about 600,000 Jews in, in Israel at that time. And there were 110 million Arabs who went to war against the tiny infant state of Israel. And yet, as you no doubt know, if you've studied into that history, it was David and Goliath all over again. God, I believe, gave Israel a great victory, and they, they prevailed over overwhelming military odds of the Arab world. Warfare. And yet, though there came a, a very tense, cold peace, uh, the Arabs never actually signed a, a peace treaty. They just said, we're waiting to, re, 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 to go after them again, and they did in 1956. And then in 1967, uh, the Arabs were preparing to attack Israel, and Israel knew that. They launched a preemptive strike in, uh, I think it was June 4th or early June 1967. It became known as the Six-Day War and uh, humiliated the Egyptians and then the, the Jordanians and then the Syrians. One by one, each of these three states attacked Israel, but Israel prevailed. But my point is, there has been warfare and fighting in 1973. This time, the Arabs caught Israel completely off guard. They, didn't, they weren't aware their intelligence failed. And in, on Yom Kippur, which is the Hebrew word for the Day of Atonement, 1973, the Arab world attacked Israel. And had the United States not intervened and sent military aid equipment to Israel, they may not have, they may not have won. And, and of course, you hear to this day, from the river to the sea, that means we're going to drive Israel from the Jordan River out to the Mediterranean Sea and back into the ocean. Drive them out. And it almost happened in 1973. And yet, the Israelis um, got their, their equilibrium mobilized, and uh, first uh, went particularly after the Egyptians, and, and wound up driving the Egyptians across the Suez Canal, and the, the Israelis were driving on, on Cairo. The joke back then is, how could you tell an Egyptian tank from an Israeli tank? The Egyptian tanks had backup lights. And there was more truth than that than you know. And went after the Syrians, who had, were attacking now down out of the Golan Heights, and I've been to the Golan Heights. It overlooks the Sea of Galilee. It's very close to the Sea of Galilee. <laughs> we were in, in Israel you know, some years ago, and, and uh, uh, Pam has a cousin who is married to an Israeli, and she's been there for many years, and she's an Israeli now her, herself. And we were staying at a kibbutz called Ein Gev, which is on the southeast shore of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, at least for a couple nights we were there, and she said, oh, during the 67 war, the Syrians shelled that area, and uh, there's, it's mined and, and the heights above it. And uh, so anyway, that particular night, we were dog-tired. They'd been running our legs off and, and all the sightseeing there in Israel. And uh, that night, about midnight, we were there asleep in bed, and all of a sudden we heard bang, 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 and Pam shot up and said, they're shooting at us. Well, it was the day of Pentecost, which is a national holiday in Israel today, and they shoot off fireworks on Pentecost. And I knew that if there had been an attack, there would be automatic weapons and not just a bang, 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 but the rapid fire of machine guns. But, but anyway, I digress. Uh, 
the 73 war. And since there have been the intifadas and the uprisings, and now there is Hamas and Hezbollah. And we've all read about what's happened there in the last month over there uh, in, in Gaza in that area. And Hezbollah is now starting to attack from the north. I read just this afternoon they fired a thousand rockets into Israel. And of course Iran is behind all of that. My point is this, that there has been nothing but trouble, nothing but fighting, nothing but violence there surrounding in and around the state of Israel. And they're longing for peace. They're looking for peace. And the day is coming, I might add, after the rapture. When an individual, according to Daniel chapter 9, is going to make a peace settlement with the Israelis and their hostile, I'll put it this way, Islamic neighbors. That includes the Palestinians and the various Arab states in the area. Peace, peace, the prophet said, and there is no peace. The stage is being set. We're seeing it before our eyes. If you've read the, the conundrum and, and the, the predicament and, and the, 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 I'm trying to think of words, the, the snarl of the Palestinians, I believe God has allowed that. And it's going to culminate in the Antichrist offering a peace settlement to the state of Israel. Now that's going to take place very shortly after the rapture. And what that says to me is the stage is being set. I don't know if, if the, I mean, Israel's been there now for, uh, what, 70 years? I don't know if that's going to, it's going to take another 70 years or it could be seven weeks. I don't know. But we're getting closer and closer, folks. And it therefore behooves us to watch and be ready, for we know not when our Lord doth come. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, the apostle wrote, But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Now look, if I could tell you, and you believe me, that Jesus was going to come here in a month, I guarantee you we'd live a different, our lives a little differently. We'd purify our lives, even as He is pure. Well, that's the whole point. We ought to be waiting and watching for Him as if He is coming next month, or tomorrow, or tonight. I don't know when. And so, there is that glorious appearing of our Lord, first in the rapture, which is imminent. It can take place at any time. And then seven years after, He returns in power and great glory to establish His his kingdom, which I believe is, I call it one of, the first, uh, the first, one of the early phases of heaven, where we'll rule and reign with him on this earth for a thousand years and then opens up into the, the, the eternal kingdom forever and ever. He's coming. We have a glorious future, folks. Uh, it's going to be exciting. And incidentally, we're on the winning side. I was in a church in Oklahoma City some years ago, and I never heard the song before, and I don't think I can sing it all together, but ever heard We're on the Winning Side, or We're on the Winning Side? Uh, it, it's a song that's sung somewhat in the South, and we are on the winning side. Praise the Lord. But let's be watching and be ready, because our Lord is coming. Father, tonight, thank you for the opportunity to preach in this great church.